be to God. Uh, thank you, Alison. It's good to be here today. Uh, welcome if you're new or visiting. Uh, I see half the church seems to be at the beach today, so obviously you know something we don't know. Uh, but Dan and Kelly are here. I don't think you were here last week, so we couldn't congratulate you last week. But congratulations on your, your wedding and your marriage. So, so we say congratulations to them. Well done. And uh, congratulations to Ian for having a birthday, which I missed a couple of weeks ago. Congratulations. Sorry, did you say 50? 50. 50. 50. Is he really 50? Come on. Ian, happy birthday then. Wow, look at that. Wow, amazing. So, yes. And uh, I'm sure we could go through and congratulate many, many people. And of course, it's the first Sunday since you've been baptised, isn't it? So we've got a, a newly baptised people here from last week as well. So great celebration, great enjoyment, great fun. And we read in this passage from Acts chapter 16 of a great moment. But it's just in the ordinary time of life. This is the ordinary time of the church cycle put it like this, we're not looking forward to Christmas yet, we've passed Easter, it's that kind of humdrum of the ordinary getting on with life. And in the ordinary moments of life, we hear of this lady called Lydia, we only hear about her briefly in the Bible, we hear about a lady called Lydia, and in the ordinary moments of life, she is celebrating. She is celebrating on a Saturday morning, and she is celebrating at the riverside, with fellow God-fearers, fellow believers in God, believers in the living God. Believers, not in Jesus Christ, but believers in Yahweh, the I Am, the God, if you like, of the Old Testament, the God pre-revealed Jesus. And so she is there celebrating in the ordinary moments of life. There's no excitement, there's no special occasion, there's no special moment. And my question for us this morning is, in the ordinary moments, which are sometimes quite hard, there is where we celebrate the goodness of Jesus Christ in our lives. And how do we know she celebrates? Well, one thing is in the Bible, but why we should be celebrating? Well, there are many reasons, but one of them is to do with a colour. Now, according to uh, the TV programme Changing Rooms in 2004, this was the colour of the moment. So we'll find out, if we went to your house, whether your house was decorated in 2004, if you have any of this particular colour on any wall or any carpet or any furniture anywhere. It is, of course, a beautiful colour. And you're all now wondering what colour it is. Well, put it like this. If I held it up this colour... You would know that colour because as you drive along in a car or if you cycle, you recognise that colour as a sign of what? A sign of? Someone said it over there? Danger or warning. That's a danger or warning sign, isn't it? I'm going to lay that just down there. Red we recognise as a danger sign or a warning sign. Red was not the colour of the moment in 2004. Let me try a different colour. That is a colour associated with a certain gender, with, with males, with boys. Of course, in the 19th century, it was the other way round, as some of you know from something I said a few months ago. But blue is the colour associated with boys. We had this fantastic moment just down there. You didn't hear it. When, when Max, can I mention that you opened your pack and you got something that wasn't that colour in your pack, didn't you? And he went straight to Luke this morning and very quietly tried to swap it with him. <laughs> 
There are no flies on that lot at the front there. <laughs> Blue was not the colour of 2004. Let's try a different colour, right? Different colour. This colour is... This colour is... Pink. It's not red, no, nearly, but it's pink. It's, yes, it's mum's, that's quite right. Pink is not mine, yes. <laughs> Just want to establish that. <laughs> Bright, fluorescent, pink filofax. We associate that with a lady. If you saw that lying somewhere, you would associate that usually with a lady, and you'd be looking for a lady to return it to. I love the handbag, yes, look at that handbag. Sue, hold your handbag out. Look at that, see what I mean? There we go. But pink wasn't the colour of 2004, but we associate these colours with different things, don't we, children and, and, and adults? And this is the colour... And purple is associated with something special. It's associated with royalty. It's the colour of royalty. Some of you are wearing purple, quite a few of you ladies, today. Purple is associated with a certain thing. You see, purple was the colour of Lydia. Uh, the Bible reading we had talks about her dealer in, in purple cloth. Actually, the AV, the authorised version, is much more accurate. It describes her as a dealer in purple. Purple dye, purple goods, not just cloth, but anything to do with purple. Because purple stands out. It was the colour of the moment in 2004... In Thailand, a widow will wear purple when in mourning. In the United States, if you've been wounded in action in the military, you'll be given a purple heart to help you stand out in a crowd. Uh, 1999, of course, that great cultural phenomenon called the Teletubbies had a purple, which one? Purple? Which one? Tinky Winky, very good. Tinky Winky is purple. And for those who are avid gardeners here, Purple is seen as the most calming colour in a garden and it will make your garden seem larger than it actually is. You're now going to go and replant the entire border purple. But you see, back in Lydia's time, purple came from one source only. It came from a tiny, tiny part of a tiny shellfish. It took thousands of these crustaceans, these, these shellfish, to make just a little amount of purple enough to do a yard or two of purple cloth. It was so rare. It was like digging for gold in your back garden and hoping you'd find it today. It was the colour of rareness. It took thousands of these shellfish. And that's why the trade was restricted, because you wanted the purple to only to go to the most prestigious, powerful people of the day. It was controlled by the authorities. There was more purple on you as a Roman ruler or a Roman leader or a Roman politician, depending on how high up the pecking order you were. The greater your oratory powers, the more purple you were allowed to wear. And here is Lydia. She deals in purple. A woman of an independent means, a great success. Perhaps she's even businesswoman of the year, for all I know. But what can she tell us? Well, just five very brief things. If I, I, I need just one child to help me, if that would be okay. Just one child. Just to stand on a chair and do a couple of other things. William, again, would you come up again? That would be fantastic. Thank you. Just going to ask you a couple of things, if that's okay. You see, there she is. Just stand there. Thank you. Just stand there. There she is. She's successful in her life. 
Her lot is set. She's a God-fearer. She is a Gentile who has turned to the Jewish God. She knows what she's doing and where she's going. Surely she's okay as she is. And today, surely, following God is out. If you go to work on Monday and say, I've been to church, people will think slightly differently of you. Another view would be that because Lydia was a God-fearer, she was successful. God had made her successful because she was a God-fearer. But, but this passage doesn't say that. It doesn't say she's successful because of her faith. It doesn't bring success in a military, uh, material way. It's not status as a reward of God. Nothing can be further from the truth. Let me put it like this. I'm going to ask William to do something for me. Could you stand on that chair, please? As high as you can. Now, any children here, I want you to think of William here as your boss. I mean, he looks fairly impressive, doesn't he? Um, he does look impressive. Is that what your dad does in the morning in the mirror? Is that, I mean, yeah, yeah, I thought that, okay. <laughs> very good. He looks powerful. He looks in charge, in control. He's taller than me. Very good. Go on, keep going. That's it. Brilliant. Look at that. You are very, very good at this. Very good. He's proud like a statue, children, isn't he? He could be your boss. He could be the kingpin at school. You can just stand on the chair and relax if you want to. <laughs> You're storing my limelight here. But you see, despite all of her status, despite she was high in the pecking order, despite that she was a businesswoman who had a business, who was independent, a woman with her own household, despite her riches and affluence, she knew it was nothing without being a follower of God's. I wonder what your status symbol is today. Your job title, the number of children you've got, where your house is in Crawley, where your children may go to school, the clothing brand you choose to go to, the bag you actually use for shopping. I did have written down here the size of your handbag, but as Sue has held a handbag out, I won't actually mention that one. I will obliquely, of course. Where you go on holiday, how long a holiday you get, all signs of status. But what are the trappings of life that impede your walk into holiness? Because they need to be quarterized. What in life is your trapping that impedes your holiness? Why don't, William, can you just look behind you at the distance, this lovely background, have a really good look, look at that. And then we can ask William to look at the backgrounds. If the first thing is, despite her status, she knows she has to be a God follower. Despite her background, she knows that she has to turn to Jesus to be saved. Acts 16, verse 14. You see, it's the Lord that opens her heart. There is no salvation without turning to Jesus Christ. And what ignites her faith is God revealing to her that Paul's words are the truth. Is my faith on fire? And then thirdly, can I give you, I'm sorry about the colour, can I give you a present, William? Just hold that for me, thank you. You hold on to it just for a moment. <laughs> there are different things that are signs of success, aren't there? Perhaps it's a degree certificate, perhaps it's many other things. For Lydia, she's not Jewish, she's in another town. And in her area, there is no synagogue. You have to have ten men in the area, ten Jewish men, to have a synagogue. So there are not ten Jewish God-fearers in this area. There are just the women. 
just the women are the God-fearers. And Paul knows where to go to. You see, despite her success, she makes time to worship. Despite her success, she makes time to worship, to gather in worship. And so Paul knows where to go. He knows, go to the riverside because that's where the God-fearers will be. And they meet near the river on a Saturday to pray. We are to gather without excuses. I'm too tired, I'm too late, I'm too hungover, I'm too busy, I'm too important, I'm too ill. These are excuses on the whole, with exceptions. But Lydia does not make. In the busyness of her success, she takes time for God. And then, can I take that back from you and I'll give you a different type of gift. I'd like to give you one of those. Is that all right? I'll have it back in a minute. <laughs> Can I give you another one? Thank you. In fact, let's have another one. So it's all my savings, this is. In fact, there's another one there. All that money. Look at it. You've probably never seen so much money in your life, have you? Nor have I. It's Catherine's, that's why. <laughs> Despite her wealth, she meets with others who are not necessarily like her. They're not all going to be successful ladies. There are going to be slaves and servants there. There are going to be washwomen and cleaners there. There are going to be wives and they're going to be the single. They're going to be the widows there. Despite her wealth, she does not seek only to be with people like her. Aren't we to cross boundaries as Christians? Maybe there are people in your family who have not spoken to you for years. You are the one as a Christian to cross the boundary. Maybe there's someone who's at work who is ostracized. You are there to cross the boundary. Maybe there's someone who, you need, who needs your forgiveness or you need to forgive. You are the one to cross the boundary. Up my money back now, please. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well done. And then finally, let's get you down from the chair. Let's get, jump down. Thank you. Despite her position, despite her wealth, despite her status, despite already being a God-fearer, she knows that her position is not hers. And so if you looked forward to verse 40 of Acts chapter 16, when Paul and Silas are released from prison in Philippi, when they have been attacked and when they have been mobbed, she stands out from the crowd and stands proud and firm for her faith. And she welcomes them back into her home. You see, she steps out. She doesn't just believe in Jesus now. By being saved, her life changes. And she is willing to give up everything for him. Where is the risk for Christ in my life? Safety for me would be to stay here. That would be the safest thing. But risk for me in my life is for God now to call me elsewhere. What is the risk in your life for Christ? Let us pray. Oh, before we pray, let us thank William. Thank you, William. Just sit back down. Thank you. Let us just pray.